Well, this week's study is, uh, as we go into uh, John 12 this morning, it's a very interesting time in the Scriptures. In John, we find that uh, this is the beginning of the last week of, of his ministry, and John spends a lot of time on that last week. Uh, John gives us, basically, at the beginning of John, like eight powerful healings uh, from Jesus, and then he starts focusing on the words and person of, of who Christ is really is. Some of the most significant uh, uh, words spoken to his disciples were spoken in that last week that we call the Passion Week. And the picture we get from John is Jerusalem is, is, is packed beyond capacity. I don't know if you've ever been in a big city where it's just, you know, just people are everywhere. I mean, we've, we, we've done that in New York where I think I mentioned several weeks ago, we flew into New York. By the time change we got there, it's like 2 a.m. their time, 11 p.m. our time, we're like, let's go get a hot dog at the corner. I mean, the vendor's still open, you know, and that's kind of how you could imagine Jerusalem is at this point, because everybody would want to come in and celebrate Passover. All the Jews were gathering, over 2 million people from around the world, and many of them would spend a month-long trip to get to Jerusalem um, to celebrate this time. Now, there's also, at this time, a warrant out for Jesus. The, the, the religious rulers don't want Jesus ruining the Passion Week, and he's been gaining in popularity and all that, so they, they finally decided, okay, it's time to, to arrest him. Uh, they were looking to, to, to disrupt his disruption, in a sense. So Jesus had been waiting for the perfect time, and, and him and the Father had already worked it out, and, and, and God revealed that to him, like, this is the time. So in John 12, he comes down to Bethany, and this is where, uh, uh, you know, just the week before and during this time period, he raised Lazarus from the dead, you know, and he comes to, you know, two miles from Jerusalem. It's a very familiar territory, it's a very friendly territory for him. There's a guy named Simon that he'd healed, you know, Simon the leper, if you remember that story, he'd healed him, and, and he's there along with Mary and Martha and, and, and Lazarus, and these are, you know, this is everybody that they're, they're sitting there going, okay, this is our group, this is our, our bonding time, this is who we vacation with, this is who we, we feel great with, you know, and this is who we're going with, but you could also feel the tension, and you have, and if you've read any of the scripture from David, he says, He prepares a meal for me in the presence of my enemies. His enemies are just down the road, two miles, 30-minute walk. Okay, maybe for some of us, 45 minutes or an hour. Okay, I get it. But just right there. Now, there's a dinner here in the private home, and, and this is where we're going to pick up uh, today in, in, uh, in chapter 12 of John. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus, Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So Jesus tells us that Martha served. And John kind of, you, you get them, uh, the sense that John kind of sat back and he was a watcher. He was kind of a, uh, a touchy-feely type of guy. He, you know, he's kind of a mystical guy in a sense. And he, he's watching what's going on with Jesus and his closest friends. 
And every time uh, you see Jesus in the Scripture, John is nearby. I mean, John is, even at the crucifixion, John is there. He would have been a very young man when, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, almost like a teenager that, that Jesus brought in. And so he watched uh, Martha as she served. And I'm sure this was like the best prepared, tastiest meal uh, that she had ever done. And some people say, well, why would you say that? Well, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, just brought him back. You kind of get the feeling that she could really cook, and, and she was very happy about this. She's very pleased with this. We get the feeling that she enjoyed cooking. She enjoyed serving. And this meal would have been served at Simon the leper's house, and, and she could have said, well, it's not really my house. I, you know, I'm not really in charge. Have you ever done that? Like, oh, well, should we do this over here? Should we do this over there? But if we do it at my house, that means I've got to be in charge of it, you know? And she's sitting there going, oh, don't, don't worry about it. I'll take care of the meal, you know? So the house is filled with this great smell of, of this wonderful meal. I mean, think about, you know, going home for Christmas or Thanksgiving if your family does that type of stuff or, or you know, your favorite restaurant. I mean, I, I smoked some chicken on the, on the uh, smoker the other day and... Um, Man, when I brought it in, I'm cutting it up, and I, I went outside uh, for a little while, and I came back in, and I just went, oh, that smells like home. And I mean Texas, okay? You know, I'm just, you go into any restaurant, it smelled just like that. And, and man, I was just like, wow, you know? This is how they, I mean, this is a, you know, they're very comfortable here. She's very comfortable serving. Where Mary, she was the opposite. She was comfortable sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's gift was taking care of people. Martha's desire was doing that. She, she is at her best when she is serving and working for other people in that sense. She's like, have you had, had, had enough? Let me give you some more. Let me give you some more. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where they just keep putting more on your plate. We don't get the sense uh, that we got uh, from Luke in Luke 10, 38, that, that, you know, where, where Martha, Martha wasn't as, as mature back then, but now she really is. And, and Luke 10, 38 says, Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister is, has left me to do all the work by myself? Come on. Tell her to get off her little bottom and come in the kitchen and help. Okay, it doesn't say that. That was my paraphrase, okay? But you know she was thinking it, okay? Man, talk about breaking a habit. A habit that she's had all her life. Man, you get the sense that Martha learned how to enjoy to serve. But also you get the sense, you know, back then that she couldn't understand why someone else wouldn't want to serve just as hard as her in the same capacity. You know, we look around and we go, well, I'm doing this. I'm serving here. Why isn't so-and-so over here helping me serve in this way? And we forget that everybody has their timing. Everybody has their gifting. Every... Now, sometimes it's like get off your hind end and come help. You know, <laughs> sometimes it needs to be that. But there's other times it's just like, no, 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 they're in a different place right now. She wasn't mature in her gifting yet. 
when she should have been sitting in a sense. So if you're, you're a Martha or you're married to Martha, someone you, know, you, you can't relax around um, because if, if you're not doing what they're doing, they're upset at you, you know. In other words, we're all doing this together, you know. Um, you know, we all have jobs. But if you like assigning work for other people or, or keeping busy, I got a lot of projects. You just come over to my house, come over, you know, I'll, I'll assign you some jobs, you know. But I'm just saying we need to relax a little bit. Because now, now we get this hint that Martha, she's a changed woman. She's still a worker bee, but the love of what she's doing is there. Thank God for Martha's in this world, right? Nothing would get done if we didn't have Martha's. Nothing would get done. So let's be careful not to point fingers. Let's be careful about, you know, where we're at. Maybe we need to become the Martha. Maybe not. I don't know. That's between you and God. But sometimes the job needs to get done. You know, everybody else is sitting and worshiping Jesus. uh, uh, But, you know, that gifting for her has matured. But at, at first it was so irritating. It was so irritating to her that other people weren't as gifted as her and wasn't as serving as her. But she's matured now. Because when, it, when you're gifting in Jesus, when you're gifting of who Jesus made you, when that matures as you grow older and, and hopefully closer to Jesus, it's a beautiful thing. And the attitude that you have changes. You know, my wife and I were talking, um, we want to be and we hope to be the couple as we get older, we don't get grumpier. We get to be more like Jesus. And we grow old gracefully. Not the, I mean, I, I'm driving down Mooney Boulevard, okay, uh, coming home the other day, and, and man, there were some slow people driving in the fast lane. You're just like, come on, you don't, you don't go 45 when the speed limit's 60. Hello, people, okay? Just get over in the other lane. It's fine. I'm not going to honk at you. I'm not going to, you know, okay, I might ride your tail. But anyway, so I'm like, okay, there wasn't that much traffic, so I, I go around, and I go speed up, and then I go, you know, get back in the fast lane, I keep going. I didn't cut anybody off, okay? So I get up to a light, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to my Fox News and, and enjoying the news, you know, and, and I, the car pulls up next to me and starts honking, and I'm like, oh, turn down the radio, roll down the window. He goes, your car must be broken. I'm like, What? He goes, your car must be broken because the turn signals don't work. I'm like, oh, come on. You know, I just look at him, roll up my window, and just keep going. You know, man, our attitude is a huge thing. And when it comes to worship, it's like a sweet fragrance. It's like that meal that you walk into and you go, I'm home. The attitude, it pleases God. So Jesus was glad to be back at Bethany. He was glad to be around his friends. Uh, he'd been out in the wilderness uh, eating campfire food. He was you know, out there in the desert for, for, for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and we pick up in verse 3 of John 12. It says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. And we've talked about this before. It's like an alabaster jar. Some of them would be necklaces, and they'd break off the top. Very expensive stuff. And, and she poured it on his feet and wiped, her, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the sweet fragrance of the perfume. And if you, you look at the Scripture closely, he gives us really two different word pictures here. 
You see Martha serving in the kitchen and working away and, and doing what, 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 what she is doing and the maturity there. And, and you see Mary, and, and, and here she's filling the house with a different fragrance. Now, men, we just go, what, what's that smell? You know, and, and the ladies are going, oh, hey, who, who opened that? What, what, what's going on with that? You know, the recognizing of the different things, you know. But, uh, but he really gives us uh, the, two, the, the, the two different pictures. Martha filling the house with cooking smells and, and Mary filling the house with this beautiful perfume smell. And they're really not competing with each other. During this evening, they would have picked up on something. And this is what she did, Mary. She, she took this expensive perfume from the necklace and broke it and poured it out there. And the beautiful thing is, you know, about Mary is uh, she doesn't gather everybody. You know, right now, my son, it cracks me up. I tell him, hey, hey Brandon, if you're going to take stuff out uh, outside, uh, do this or don't do that. Or, hey, you really can't play with the Frisbee right now outside because our neighbor kid's thrown it up on the roof three times and a, and a tree another time. Okay, so we're not. So I said, so just leave it in the garage. So what does my son do? Hey, guys, come on over. Come on over. Okay, my dad said, and I'm like, oh, Lord, stop that, son. But, but Mary's not acting like that. She's not going, hey, hey, I got the, I got the expensive uh, spice. I got the expensive perfume here. Okay, everybody gather around. She doesn't do any of that. She just does this out of her heart. She doesn't say, look at how expensive this is. She seems to not notice. She seems to not care. The house is filled with this sweet fragrance. And the women, like I said, are noticing it. And the guys are starting to cough because of the smell. And, you know, it's like a junior high dance. I don't know. The guys are just like, oh, she smells. You know, but, the, but then there's this guy, Judas, in verse 4. Picks up in verse 4. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who, was later, who would later betray him, objected. Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? A legitimate question, in a sense, you know. It's, it was worth a year's wages. But then we see the, the true heart here. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used, he used to, to help himself to what was put into it. Hey, why didn't you sell that? Because I wanted to steal some of that. Okay, he didn't say that out loud, but that's what he's you know, thinking here. So he says, this is a waste. This is not how we handle things. It's not good, good uh, uh, stewardship. I'm glad that I'm in control, you know. And all the time, he's hiding his sin back there. See, I, I never understood this. Why did Jesus put somebody like Judas in charge of the money? You had 11 other guys. You even had Matthew, who was a tax collector. I mean, he could count. He was good. He went through grade school. He graduated. Okay, you know what I'm saying. You know, I'm, I'm kind of going off the, you know, a lot of the fishermen weren't well-educated compared to, uh, you know, at the time and stuff. I mean, Jesus, what are you doing? But Jesus knew. Jesus understood. It's amazing how sometimes the Lord allows this to happen. And we're like, but Lord, that person? And Jesus is like, I need to draw your attention to this. You you know, I... Judas just can't stand it, and he judges the situation. 
He just can't stand that the money is out of his control. He views it as a waste. He views Jesus as not worth 300 denarii. A year's worth of wages. He actually priced Jesus out at about 30 silver coins. Hmm. But Mary doesn't even respond like that. She's caught up in the worship. I wonder if Jesus did this to try to get him to turn from his ways. Because Jesus is the man of, or the God, the man, both, of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, continually giving chances. And Judas had a chance. He never takes it. Verse 7, Jesus says, leave her alone. You could almost imagine his, he knows what's coming. He knows how hard this next week is going to be. He's already got all this pressure on his back. He's taken all of our sin on his shoulders. He's starting that process. You could imagine him getting upset saying, leave her alone. You know what? If Jesus is calling you to worship him, don't defend yourself. Just do it. That's what Mary is doing. One of the reasons we feel so far away from God sometimes is that, you know, we, we, we haven't been sitting at His feet lately. Hmm. You know, I wish there was something like a pill that could solve that. Slip it into, you know, your morning coffee or Diet Coke or whichever, whatever you drink. But it doesn't work like that. There's no substitute for sitting at Jesus' feet. There's no substitute. Either you do it or you don't. There's no substitute for spending time with him. The fascinating thing is how Mary is just, Mary and Martha both have tuned in to Jesus in their own way. And there's a party going on and everybody's having a great time. Martha, you know, they're like, Martha, these are d'oeuvres. They're, they're wonderful. Can I get that recipe? How did you cook these? And he's over there having that conversation. And, and, but Mary, she's picking up on something about Jesus here. And, you know, what is it, Lord? What, what's going on? You know, you remember, this is the beginning of Passion Week. Something different. She anoints him, and Jesus comes to her defense. Leave her alone. She did this to prepare for my burial. Wow. That's one way to bring a party to a halt, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the disciples would probably look at each other and go, oh, roll their eyes. Oh, he's talking about his death and burial again because Jesus did that quite often. I guess we need to go down and find a counselor for him. I mean, any normal person, I mean, you would, that would be the way to do it. You know, you need to go find him some help. But, but Jesus was different. He was God. He knew what was coming. It goes on, it says, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Mary's heart is in tune with Jesus. Now, when you think of in tune, you think of stuff like guitars or pianos. You know, with a guitar, you just, you know, you plug it into this little tuner and you strum the chord and it tells you to go up or down. You turn it. Um, With a piano, they have tuning forks. And the fork is, is totally tuned to the right tune. And, and they hit the fork and they listen to that and they tune the, that particular wire, or wire to that particular fork, okay? Now, if 
it's out of tune, you don't take a hammer and a chisel or something to the tuning fork, do you? No, that would be dumb, you know? No, you, you, you change the wire, you tighten it or you loosen it. You don't mess with the tuning fork. We need to be in tune with Jesus. Jesus is our tuning fork. He's the one that, uh, that we uh, should, should tune ourselves to. How did Mary get in tune with Jesus? By sitting at his feet. How do we sit at his feet? We get into his word. We pray. We worship. We do the things that, that you know, the, the Sunday school answer, you know. We're all like, oh yeah, Sunday school answer. Okay, we pray. We, you know, but that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Now, there's other Marys in the Bible, so this particular Mary, I don't want you to get them mixed up, but this Mary was always at Jesus' feet, always there. And, it, and it's, it's quite interesting for the other disciples because other rabbis would never allow this. They wouldn't allow a woman to be taught. Uh, that just wasn't, you know, in the Jewish culture, that just wasn't kosher. Um, if you were touched by a woman, you had to go through this process of cleaning yourself before you could go to temple. Uh, you had the women's court, and then you have the men's court. The men's court is definitely more important than the women's area, okay? Uh, I'm not saying that from my perspective, so don't get mad at me. I'm just saying that's how they viewed it. So you wouldn't allow a woman to be uh, at your feet. No, no way a woman would be allowed to, to sit at the men's foot and learn. I mean, to be taught, to show them respect, to say, you can learn. You can learn about me. But Jesus was showing respect for Mary, allowing her to do this. And then when someone questions her actions, he comes to her defense and says, leave her alone because she's getting it. So I have to ask you this question. How hard could it be to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn? How hard can it be? It can be pretty hard. The reason is because, I mean, there's always something to do. Always. Always a project. You know, my wife, she told me to, to grab something when I went out to the garage, and I totally forgot to grab it because uh, I was going out there anyway for something else, but, but as soon as I entered the garage, my mind went to that project, that project, that project, that project that needs to be done. So then I go back inside, and she's like, oh, did you grab it? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot, I got distracted. We're always distracted. If you have kids, well, that's a whole other ball game. you know what I'm saying? Last night, Brandon was playing outside. All is quiet in the house, and we're sitting there with Grayson, you know? And we, I looked at Lisa, I go, this is how it used to be with one child, you know? I mean, it was just nice and easy going, but, and as soon as the tornado comes back in, I mean, Brandon comes back in, man, it is hard. You get up in the morning, you're thinking, okay, let me relax for a second. The kid starts crying. He wants breakfast. The other one wants chocolate milk. Okay, so anyway... But the point is, whether you have kids or you have other, life distracts us. It does. And we're like, as soon as I get done with this list, I'm done. Then, then we got more stuff to do, don't we? And the Lord says, how about you just sit at my feet? How about you accomplish nothing for the next 10 minutes or 20 minutes? Or 45 minutes. 
depending on where you're at. How about you tune in to what I'm trying to say to you and who I am and what I'm feeling about life, the heart of who I am, the heart of worship. Where is Jesus for you? See, you should be all about Jesus, yet so often we're all about our to-do list or getting ready or all the things that, that happen in life. You know, some of the scriptures say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Well, how is He going to direct your path if you're not spending any time with Him? And I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip. I want to encourage you to do this. See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. We work hard to get where we want to go. And Jesus is saying, just relax a little bit. He also says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own, right? Oh, man. Each day carries enough stuff going on. So why worry about the next day and the next day and the next day and the next week and the week after that? You know, we need to be starting. We need to get the words, the Lord willing in our voice, you know, in our, in our, in our mind. Well, if the Lord wills it, I, you know, Lord willing, I'll do this. Because we don't know if the Lord's willing to let us do that or not. He may call us home a little sooner than we think. I don't know. That's up to God. Only he knows our days. Jesus also said, seek First, his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The only way to get in tune with Jesus is to seek him, to be around him, to want to be like him. Jesus says to Martha in the book of Luke, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That's when she was complaining about, you know, Mary not in the kitchen helping her. So Martha's learned a few things. She's matured along the way. You know, what do you think heaven is going to be like? You think it's going to be, you know, You know, I mean, what's it? We're going to have to commute. (laughs) Uh, No, I think that's hell. Stuck in commuting. You know, we're going to have our iPhones. We're going to be able to communicate. Just, you know, Star Trek. Is it Star Trek? You just touch and talk, you know? Or you flip up. Oh, you know, we already have that, you know. But I'm just saying, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. But Mary, she's going to be very comfortable in heaven because I know one thing that happens in heaven. We worship our Lord and Savior. We do. Man, if you want to get a taste of heaven, sit still with Him. Let go. Give, give your heart, you know, give up the pain. Give up the, the hurt. Give up those things. That, that, allow Jesus to take those burdens. So I have to ask the Lord, am I Martha or am I Mary? Am I a negative Martha or a positive Martha? Am I a, a, a Mary that's sitting at Jesus' feet? And the Lord laughs at me and says, Helen, you're nothing like Mary. <laughs> but you all, you know, in us, we need a little bit of both, right? We need that person that wants to serve. We need that person that wants to, to do things for God. And then... We also need to sit at the feet of Jesus. 
verse 9 of John 12, it goes on, it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. And for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. I mean, poor Lazarus. He dies. He, he gets raised from the dead. And now they're planning on killing him. Man, what a week, you know. Like he asked for this. He was in Abraham's bosom, probably talking to Elijah and some of the other guys. And all of a sudden, he's being ripped back into this world. And now there's a price on his head. Why is that? Because people don't like him because what God has done in his life. Just like what happened over in Egypt this morning. People don't like Christians because what God has done. Imagine that. Imagine that. What is he supposed to do? You know, imagine all the conversation. Are you the guy? Yeah, 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 wait, wait, wait. You're, you're the guy, right? You, Jesus raised you for, yeah, 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 yeah. You're the guy. You know, he's not going to say, well, no, 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 I'm not the guy. No, I'm not going to tell you what God did. No, 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 no. I like being dead. You know, I mean, come on. Many people were coming to Christ because of him. Verse 12, it says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and, and went out to meet him and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, it's pretty obvious as Jesus is coming over the Mount of Olives. And you've got to ima- imagine this. Um, everybody always goes up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is on top of a hill, okay? So it doesn't matter north, south, east, west, you're always going up to Jerusalem, okay? You know, we think of up as north, you know, but it's not for them, okay? So they're coming over the Mount of Olives that goes down into the, the uh, valley of uh, is it Valley Kidron, I think, or one of them? Well, there's three valleys there, and I think it's Valley Kidron. It goes down into a valley and back up to Jerusalem, to the, to the Temple Mount. Now, there would have been a huge, large bridge. I don't know if you've seen the largest bridge in California over on the coast. I mean, it's a beautiful bridge. You've got the bridge, and you've got all the hills going down, and you, you, know, you can drive straight across, right? Well, think of it like that. There's this huge valley. Well, they didn't, you know... You don't want to have to walk down into the valley and back up. So they built this walkway, this bridge that kind of went across from the Mount of Olives to, that, uh, to the temple area. So you could get into the Gate Beautiful is what they call it there. But, but Jesus was going down this way and all these people are there grabbing palm branches. There's, there's palm trees all over the place. And, and this was a symbol of Jewish national sovereignty. The palm branches became huge right then. Uh, in the time of the Maccabees, about um, 300 years before this, or uh, maybe 150 years before this, there's a revolt in the conquering, uh, you know, against the conquering invaders, against, against Rome and against the other countries that were, were, were there. And, and Jews, Jews actually took back the temple area, and they were in control of Jerusalem for a long time the, during the uh, Maccabees. And, and the, you know, in the temple, they would wave palm branches during this time. 
So then, you know, to them, palm branches became a big deal, became a symbol of this. And what they were saying to Jesus was this, you represent our national sovereignty. Get over there to the temple, take over, kick out the Romans. Let's get this over and done with because we as Jews want to be able to worship in the temple and be Jews. You're the king of Israel, not Caesar. That's what they're saying with this whole palm branch things. The other scriptures you see, um, some of the, uh, you know, some of the people telling Jesus basically, tell these guys to shut up. I mean, we're going to cause some problems. No, we don't. No, no. Hey, hey, no, 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 no. And what does Jesus say? If they don't cry, cry out, the rocks will cry out. Nature will cry out. This is who I am. See, they're expecting you know, him to be you know, from like Daniel chapter 7 or 9, the type of Messiah. But that's not yet. You know, the, that's the second coming. That's the, the coming in on the white horse and, and, and going to take over. This is meek and mild Jesus. This is the lamb being led to the slaughter. And he does this by riding on a colt of a donkey. Now, I don't know if you've seen a, a colt, a, a little donkey. Um, the colt is, is really small. So if Jesus is any bigger than five foot five, which I presume he was a little taller than that, his feet would have been dragging on the ground. So he'd have to kind of hike up his feet as he's riding the donkey, and it would kind of look a little humorous, almost silly looking. Jesus would have, you know, man, people would have been like, that's the conquering kingdom guy, you know, that's him. And they're like, whatever, you know. But why would Jesus come in like this? He was fulfilling prophecy. Zechariah had written over 500 years earlier that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. In fact, Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I think it's funny how he repeats, you know, Riding on a donkey, a colt, a fowl of a donkey. I mean, he's just like, okay, I want to get this very specific here. So if anybody in Jerusalem were to say, well, hey, do you think Jesus is the Messiah? And if they knew the word of God, if they'd studied the scripture, they would say, well, how did he enter in the city? Did he walk? Did he come in like a general on a big white horse? Did men carry him in? How did he come in? No, he came in riding on a colt of a donkey. Okay, well, let me check that mark off. There was over 300 prophecies made about Jesus Christ, about the Messiah, that you would have to check off. Because there was a lot of guys going around going, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. And people, I mean, we think of this as a big deal, but I mean, Rome killed a lot of messiahs. Just like, you know, in our own country, we had David Duke, uh, not David, was it David? I can't even think of his name. Waco, okay? You know, he was David Koresh, you know, sitting there going, I'm the, you know, I'm the second coming, I'm the second. You have kooky people, okay, these goofballs that think they're the Messiah, yet they don't meet any of the criteria. But this man met the criteria. The Old Testament, over 300 prophecies. 
300 very specific things. Not three, not 30, 300. If there is one guy who fulfills all these prophecies, he is the Messiah. Now, what are the odds of a prediction 500 years ago, you know, coming true and a man fulfilling that? I mean, those odds are pretty huge, right? Think about 500 years ago. Was America even in existence? So could you predict 500 years ago that Donald Trump, a TV guy, a billionaire, would become president of the United States? Whether you like it or not, I'm not going there, but I'm just saying that could you have predicted that? No. No. I mean, even our pundits on TV are going a year ago, they were sitting there going, what? This guy, no way. We hope he runs. There's no way he could get elected. Much less 500 years ago. Now think of about 1,000 years or 2,000 years ago. All 300 prophecies have been met. All except for the end time, you know, the last few that are for his second coming, okay? Now, when you calculate the odds of this, and I've kind of gone over this before, but I think it's true. There's a thing of, it's called the law of compounding probability. And you've all studied this, right? You've all gone to your class about, okay, well, maybe not. I haven't either. But it makes sense once it's explained. The law of compounding probability means the more uh, probability I place or compound on a prediction, the less likely it is to actually happen or come true. And we've used this example before. So say I say there's going to be an earthquake in the world. Okay, you would go, yeah, there's earthquakes every day. Great prediction, Alan, you know. What if I said there was going to be an earthquake in California? Okay, well, yeah, there's earthquakes in California every day. Okay, you're, you know, I'd still be right. Okay, what about San Francisco? This year. Yeah, yeah, okay, there's earthquakes there all the time. Well, what if I say there's going to be an 8.3 magnitude on April 18th at 4.22 a.m.? You guys would be going, oh, whatever. But if it happened at 4.22 a.m. on April 18th, you'd all be going, wow, can you believe you predicted that? See, the more I add to it, the less likely... The odds, or the greater the odds on that, the less likely it is to happen, right? If I just go on and on and on. Earthquake, sure. Earthquake of this magnitude, uh, probably not. Okay, at this time, at this place, on this fault, you see my point. Now add a, you know, another, what, 293 predictions to this? Now what are the odds of that? Well, they're astronomical, if you could imagine. There's not a man in history who could fulfill even 30 besides Jesus Christ. He fulfilled all 300. And people say following Christ is not logical. Here's your logic. There's a guy named Peter Stoner uh, who wrote a book. And he said, let's see what the probability would be for a guy to meet not 300, not 30, but eight of the prophecies. And these are the ones he picked. He picked the Messiah was to be born in Jerusalem proceeded with a messenger and a guy named Elijah, has to ride into, a, into Jerusalem on a donkey, 
betrayed by a friend for exactly 30 pieces of silver, and the silver had to be thrown down and used to buy a potter's field, and the Messiah has to be falsely accused, but stand silent, and lastly, they're going to crucify him. Just those eight things, eight different prophecies from Old Testament Scripture. Now, what do you think the probability would be for a person fulfilling that? Well, he's a math genius. He figured this out mathematically, and it's one to the tenth power. I mean, one uh, by uh, to uh, one times ten to the seventeenth power. Okay, so think of about like um, you know, that's a lot of zeros. If you don't get my point, okay. So this is how he explained it. Let's build a wall around Texas which is fine with me. I'd move back to Texas anytime. Just build a wall, keep those Oklahoma people out, keep the, okay, you know. But, uh, you know, a wall around Texas, and you take one times 10 to the 17th power of silver dollars, and you mark one of them with an X, just one, and you dump them all over Texas. That's about two foot deep of silver dollars all over Texas the second largest state in our country. Okay, think about that for a second. Two foot. And then you parachute in, and you land, and you look down, and you pick up that one deal with an X on it. That's the probability that you could actually do that. Stick your hand down in the two foot, and about a foot down, you grab whatever one you grab, and you come up with it. Now, you know, you could do that, right? Half of you are going, I'm not going to parachute. Okay, so I get your point. But, you know, this is why it doesn't take a lot of faith to believe in Jesus. If he could, you know, can fulfill just eight of those, much less 300 of them. Wow. But God also said it takes faith. Faith that he can save me. Faith that I really, truly believe this. It's very logical but it also takes faith. Now, go, go back to the point where I was coming, you know, over the Mount of Olives. Everyone's waving the palm branches and, and celebrating, and Jesus is riding in on the colt, and the disciples are, are totally confused. Should we tell the people to shut up? Should we not, you know? And, you know, every time, uh, and they see Jesus, and he's starting to cry, you know, and they're confused also because every time we start celebrating something, Jesus is over crying and praying, and they just don't get this. How come he can't get on the same message as us, the same page? And those around him would have heard the words, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how I've longed for you. If only you had known that this was the day of your salvation. Now, what was Jesus crying about? Well, they didn't recognize him as the Messiah. They didn't recognize him that as that. They were thinking he's a conquering guy who's going to come in and get Rome off their back. This actual day had been already predicted by Daniel hundreds of years back. This very day, in Daniel 9, the first year of the reign of Xerxes' son, okay? Going back into some of the history, some of the stuff that we've studied here. But, but Daniel said this, After I die, we will come out of capa- uh, captivity, and there will be a ruler who will allow you to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And the day he sends the, the people back to build the temple, the clock starts 
ticking. And then he goes into, if you've read Daniel, into the, 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 the 70 weeks. There's seven sevens and 62 sevens. And, you know, it sounds odd, but stick with me here. But there's 69 total weeks, okay? And that's 483 years. And the 483 years, something, you know, the Messiah will appear here. And sure enough, Artaxerxes, who reigned during, you know, after Daniel's death, let the people go back and build the temple, and he appointed Nehemiah to do this. And he did this on March 14th, 445 B.C. And then the clock started ticking. So from that day, 483 years it started. Now we figured out that 483 Babylonian years are 360 days a year, not 365 and a quarter or an eighth or whatever America is, okay? Or whatever, you know, the Alexandering, or whatever calendar we use now. What is, I don't know, anyway. You know, those smart people in this room will know that, okay? I'll leave it at that. But, uh, but for 360, so if you're a genius or if you happen to have a calculator, you take 483 times 360, what does that bring you to? No one got out the calculator. Okay, I wrote it down. 173,880 days. So if you start at March 14th, 445 B.C., and add all that together, you get to March the 6th, A.D. 32. And Jesus stands at the top, at the top of the Mount of Olives. On the day that Jesus said, when he woke up, he's sitting there going, when you, he's telling you, If you wake up on this day, expect the Messiah to reveal himself. They were looking at a conquering hero. They weren't expecting the Messiah. They ignored that part. All because they were hard-headed and didn't seek the Lord. They were not expecting him that day. So no wonder why he was crying. No wonder why he was weeping. He basically said, if you'd only known. And he'd already given them the, the knowing part, but they didn't, they didn't take that. Now, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but 300 prophecies, and they can't see the man as Jesus. I mean, this is, this, this is just as bad as us today in many ways. With all the biblical knowledge that we have, with all the, the commentaries, with all the, the church fathers, with all the, the, the stuff that people have gone through, we still can't figure out whether we should follow Jesus or not sometimes. Man. John 12, 16, it says, At first his disciples did not understand this, all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had, that they had done these things to him. See, this is why it's important for us to know the Word of God. So we can expect Jesus when he comes. The Bible says that Jesus is coming back. We don't know if it's three years from now, 30 years from now, 300 years from now. We don't know, but we know that we're supposed to be expecting him. And he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives. And what's fascinating is the fact that the world is not expecting him again. They're not. Even though the scriptures say that Jesus is going to come back, even though he fulfilled all those other scriptures, they like to say, oh, he's not really real. He's not really, no, 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 no. And we're going to be talking as we get back into Romans and stuff. You know, the world doesn't want us to even believe in Genesis. You know, Genesis is just a story because, you know, I mean, come on. Adam and Eve, garden, 
flood. I mean, it's just a story. Those are just make-believe things for the kids. Everything we believe starts right there in Genesis. If we can't believe that, throw everything else out. That's why it's important for us to know the Scripture and believe the Scripture. Even though all this biblical prophecy was fulfilled, uh, you know, there's certain things that haven't happened yet. That Jesus, he's, he could come back at any time. And even the church, unfortunately, will be caught unaware in many ways. We're going to be surprised when we're raptured, it says. See, it's one thing to believe in your head. It's another thing to be with the Lord in the twinkling of an eye. Are you expecting that day? Are you prepared for that day? Are you his friend? Do you know him? And hopefully all the answers are yes. Where he'll say, well done, my good and faithful friend. My good and faithful servant. Where he'll say, yeah, I know you, come on in. Your name is written in the book of life. But let's not be foolish. We need to be ready for his return. Are you looking forward for his return? As much as we look forward to certain things in this life, we need to be looking forward to that. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And He went through a week of literal hell so we don't have to. We don't have to. That doesn't mean we won't suffer. As we talked about in Romans, sometimes we suffer. But I'd rather suffer for what I believe in suffer for Jesus than to just suffer in misery. You know? Because with Jesus, I have hope. With Jesus, I have a path. With Jesus, I have a way out of that suffering. If you don't have Jesus, what do you have? No hope, no path. We need to look forward for His return as we look forward to celebrating his death and resurrection. Why don't we pray as the worship team comes? And... Lord, we are so thankful for what you've done in our life. We pray for those that don't know who you are. We pray for those that, that have been struggling. We pray for those that have maybe even walked away not knowing why they're walking away that you would just pierce their hearts and bring them back. It's logical to understand that you fulfilled so many prophecies, Lord. But it takes faith to really believe and to know who you are and to give our lives over to you, Lord. We pray that we don't don't only give our lives over to you, Lord, but, but we give our burdens, our desires, those things that we struggle with, Lord. And we ask for your help in dealing with those. Because if we try to do it on our own, Lord, so often we fail. We thank you for being willing to go to the cross for us, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you in this week of passion. The passion of wanting to save the human race from you or for you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.